I actually, I retired from sport in April. So okay. I'm like, a, I'm in a retired sport, but I'll tell you what we did because I did do it for 15 years. So um, I, we actually right now, so I know we're, I'm going to say Canadian um, Celsius, but it's actually six degrees here. So it's above zero. Um, and we're on the water if it's above zero. So um, you go out and you like put extra layers on and you walk in the snow, you get on the water, you carefully finagle around the ice because there's ice when you're getting on the water and then you get on and you paddle. And so, um, yeah, we, we're on the water if it's above zero. Then we do a lot of cross-country skiing because um, it's the same muscles that you're using. It's a push and then um, getting good aerobic base and then weights. And then we do this terrible thing called an erg. I hate it. Did you know that we each lose a different amount of electrolytes in our sweat, largely based on our genetics? That means that there's no one size fits all perfect sports drink for everybody because we each have unique needs. That's why we at Solpre developed the Sync Hydration System, a series of sports drinks to help match you with the personal level of electrolytes that you need. If you'd like us to help you match with your perfect sports drink, go to solpre.com slash hydration dash quiz. That's solpre.com slash hydration dash quiz. Welcome to the Smart Athlete Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Funk. My guest today, Representing Canada in the Tokyo Olympics in the sport of canoe slalom. Uh, she's won a bronze at the Pan American Games and a gold at the Pan American Championships. If I got that wrong, she's going to correct me here in a minute. Um, currently, almost finished with her degree in business commerce and entrepreneurship. So I'm sure we're going to get along really well. Welcome to the show, Haley Daniels. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for coming on. Um, I, I first, I got to give you a little bit of a hard time or ask you. Um, so for anybody who has Instagram, once again, on Instagram, you can check her out, uh, Haley Dansky. Um, it's Haley, D-A-N-S-K-I. Uh, my, my question is, how do you deal with living in such a beautiful place? Like, how does that, you know, I feel like that's gotta be crushing on the soul just to have such like, beautiful <laughs> scenery around you all the time. I mean, I live here for that reason, for sure. No, uh, I, I live in a mountain town called Pan Noir, Alberta. Um, it's just outside of the city of Calgary where the 1988 Olympics were. Um, and yeah, I, lo I love where I live. Um, it's uh, definitely, um, I just looked out the window this morning and I got really excited because it's snowing. Um, so uh, we're going to probably get some snow, which is, which is good. But uh, yeah, I think for me, um, I just, I, I get excited to be in the mountains and that's what I do all the time. So it's a natural fit for me to live here. It's, I just, oh, I, I know when I got on your screen, I just, I saw, I was like, I feel like it, where, where you live, I was just like, this is what Instagram is built around. It's just like, you just go, <laughs> just go outside and you're like, it's gorgeous. Like I live in this weird, like hot, cold paradise that like <laughs> has all the things, I guess. So I just, mm -hmm. I had to give you a hard time about it, but that, that does make me wonder um, if, I mean, you're primarily water-based sport. So what are you doing in the wintertime? I mean, I think I saw some pictures of you on the ice. Like, how are you getting out to train when it's too cold to actually have liquid water on, you know, to, to be <laughs> so, on? So um, 
I actually, I retired from sport in April. So okay. I'm like, a, I'm in a retired sport, but I'll tell you what we did because I did do it for 15 years. So, um, I, we actually right now, so I know we're, I'm going to say Canadian, um, Celsius, but it's actually six degrees here. So it's above zero. Um, and we're on the water if it's above zero. So, um, you go out and you like put extra layers on and you walk in the snow, you get on the water, you carefully finagle around the ice because there's ice when you're getting on the water and then you get on and you paddle. And so, um, yeah, we we're on the water if it's above zero. Then we do a lot of cross country skiing. Um, cause it's the same muscles that you're using It's a push and then, um, getting good aerobic base and then weights. And then we do this terrible thing called an erg. I hate it. Um, it's <laughs> similar to rowing. Um, but it's like a kayak erg and you do intervals on that. So when we are here in Canada, that's what we're, we're doing. But for the most part, um, we ended up traveling. So this time of year, I was usually in Europe or in, um, more of Western Canada, yeah, closer to Vancouver, where it's um, just a little warmer and you can be on the water. Um, and then usually come January, February, we are in Australia or New Zealand or Brazil or Dubai or somewhere warm where there's a whitewater course um, so that we can get proper training and, and not lose that uh, water connection. I mean, it sounds like such a hardship to like travel to all these places. And... <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, the the travel is, it is actually quite fatiguing when you're, when yeah. you're on the road for anywhere from, you know, six to nine months a year, you're constantly living out of a bag, you know, you're home for a little bit, and when you're home, you're cramming in all the time with friends and family and sponsors and um, recovery and things like that. So um, it does become quite fatiguing, but yeah, it's an amazing thing. I mean, you, I've been able to see the world with my boat, which has been so cool. Um but it's also quite expensive. So um, all of those trips and coaching fees and accommodation and flights are all, I was responsible for all of that. So, um, you know, I'm having to come up with anywhere from 50 to $90,000 a year to compete. So um, when I hear that we're going to go to Dubai, I'm like, okay, how much is the flight going to cost there? <laughs> like, what's the accommodation there? So it's exciting, but it's also my brain's thinking about that budget as well. Yeah. I mean, in I'm being a little facetious in, in terms of like the, the travel thing. Cause I know it's like, I traveled a bit doing triathlon and I know, you know, we talked to like pros. It's like talking about the inside life of pros. When I think about triathlon specifically, uh, the pros I know, um, we'll talk about like, yeah, we travel places, but like you're living, like when you go to compete, you're just living inside of a hotel room basically like you're training a bit you're staying fit to, to race and compete but like otherwise you're not like going out and sightseeing and stuff and as you mentioned like you're away from family and friends for a considerable amount of the year I, I think that's something that people don't consider when they they hear oh uh, Haley gets to travel all these places and, and do all these things like um can you speak a little bit about I guess staying sane and like staying socially connected while you do all the traveling and stuff? Yeah, absolutely. I think, like you said, like, although we're in these awesome places, for the majority, we're at the course and then whatever our accommodation is um, because we need to get that proper recovery and your training anywhere. Like on a training camp, you're training like two to three times a day, um, six days of the week, right? So it's like, you don't really have a lot of time to go see things. So on our days off, we try to do some tourist things. Um, like, you know, when we're in Sydney, we'll go to the beach for the day or something. But um, yeah, I think for me, like 
a lot of my friends that I made on the tour um, from different countries, one of my best friends on the tour was uh, from the Netherlands and um, things like that. And so, you know, you, you get to go hang out with these people, which is really nice. Um, but it's, it's still not, you know, your, your friends and family that you grew up with and that you, that you built a community with at home. So uh, I had to develop a lot of different tools to kind of just um, get over my homesick, I guess. Um, and so, um, yeah, I would schedule calls with friends and family, like pretty often. Um, I did a lot of journaling as well. Uh, so just writing down when I was sad or frustrated and um, kind of storing those those thoughts on paper instead of rehashing them in my brain over and over and over again. And something that I picked up um, in the latter half of my career was um, doing uh, drawing. So um, this was more, I just, I needed to do something that I was recovering and I wanted to still be creative, but I could uh, really do something that allowed me to just be, be creative and be in my hotel room, but not um, feel like FOMO that I couldn't go outside. Uh, so yeah, I would just, um, I would write different, uh, or I would draw different things and hopefully it would, it would uh, create these cool, cool drawing that landscapes. And is that something that like, are you continuing it or is it just like a, this is my activity I do when I'm like stuck up, you know? Yeah, I mean, I definitely, I, um, I figured out this thing um, through drawing, which is quite peculiar, but I, I'm not great with structure. I really like creating my own structure. Um, and so what drawing allowed me to do is draw structure but then I could color within my own lines, um, which I thought was quite cool. Uh, I don't, I hate coloring books, um, but I love drawing. So it's kind of a funny thing. Uh, but um, yeah, I do it all the time. I mean, as, as we said earlier, like I have the mountains around me. That's my favorite thing to draw. So um, I, when I have a day off, uh, like today, for example, I have a day off. Um, probably won't be doing some drawing because I have some other things I need to attend to. But um, I love just going and sitting somewhere on a hill with a beautiful view and drawing what's in front of me. I think it's, maybe it's one of those things where it's like, um, I, I, don't, I guess I don't know about you, kind of like your thoughts on this. Sometimes I like to look at like roadblocks as an opportunity or like obstacles as an opportunity, kind of like when, um, you know, COVID shut everything down and just nobody could go anywhere and we're all stuck at home and like, what are we going to do now? Like I use that as an opportunity to get back into a kind of a hobby that I really hadn't pursued in almost a decade just to be like, I really want to spend some time on this instead of, instead of being like, Oh, what was me? Like, what am I going to do? So I mean, was, was that the kind of approach you took where you're like, well, I've got, I've got all this time. So I, I might as well put it to use. Yeah, I think when I picked up drawing again, um, it was actually, uh, we were at a training camp in, just between Pemberton and Whistler um, in, uh, in BC. And it was, uh, there was a really, really bad smoke from the fires and we were camping and um, my coach got sick. This was before COVID, but he got really sick and I felt really sad and couldn't really go anywhere because it was so smoky. And so I actually just, I drew him a get well card and I realized how much joy it gave me to draw again and just and I did it a lot when I was a kid and and I'd lost it because I was school and um, sport and all those things so yeah exactly I think I just I came back to I really love being creative and and then I started realizing also that I 
I'm quite good at it. Um, and so for me, that was just really exciting and nice to be able to just continue to create and add color and, and pictures and things like that. So I want to back up a little bit. Um, cause one of the things I want to ask you more about is, or maybe we're continuing, I guess, is just like the life of an Olympian, the life of training as a professional, um, like you, you touched on just the expense every year that you've got to come up with just to mm -hmm. compete. I mean, a, a lot of people, you said, uh, I think the figures you said were like 50 to $90,000. Um, I'm going to assume Canadian, but it's roughly equivalent to USD. It's to be slightly less, but for all intents and purposes, let's just go with that. Um, so, I mean, that for many people, that's like, that's a yearly salary that I have to come up with, yeah. you know, at, at, <laughs> I'm uh, spending. right. And the normal job that you're <laughs> yeah. spending. So, you know, can you take me through, I guess, a few things, you know, fundraising, how do you, how do you pay for it? Um, and then, you know, what, what did kind of day to day or week to week, month to month, how did the training schedule kind of get put together? Mm -hmm. Well, I'll talk to the fundraising first and then I'll talk to the training because they're, they're, they correlate, but they're definitely different. Uh, so when it came to fundraising, um, I kind of had to reinvent the wheel a little bit because there's not really a solid foundation for athletes and sponsorships and fundraising. So um, I put together like a personal brand that talks to outdoor adventure, gender equality because of my sport um, and fighting for gender equality in my sport. And then um, also plant-based diet. So I eat a plant-based diet. So I kind of, that was the sponsors that I targeted um, in relation to that in my branding. Um, and then I built my own website and um, within social media, I tried to talk about those things. Um, and then um, was able to get some amazing sponsors uh, like Subaru, Mountain Equipment Co-op, which is like REI in the States, um, uh, grocery store Save-On Foods, um, a lake community that was close to me called Harmony. Um, yeah, many, many other uh, different sponsors, but um, it really, that was part of how I paid for a lot of things. But um, the thing that actually um, was most lucrative was fundraisers. So um, my first fundraiser was like a wine and cheese and I had like a bunch of random silent auction things. Um, and then I moved to, uh, I made a cookbook called The Canoeist Kitchen. Um, and it had plant-based recipes and I sold those cookbooks along with teaching vegan cooking classes here in Canmore. Um, and those were, they, they were quite lucrative, but they were, it was a lot of work for small events. Um, and mm -hmm. they only pulled in about, um, anywhere from like two to $5,000 an event. And it was just like a lot of work for that. So, um, I eventually came up with this idea with, so I, for, I formed an advisory council. Um, someone told me that I need to have a board of directors, um, because it, it'll just help bounce ideas off. And then I can use their network for, um, inviting people to things. So I, I formed an advisory council of uh, eight people that I trusted and um, we met and I was like, I want to do a fundraiser. I we ideated some ideas and we came up with this idea where artists paint paddles and then we'd auction those paddles off to fundraise for my uh, year. And it was sold out bent every year. There was media, we had um, entertainment there. We had a beautiful paddles. Like, um, I'm actually, every time they would go, I would be sad when they go. Cause I was like, I want to put these all over my home. They're so beautiful. Mm -hmm. Um, hopefully some, sometime, um, in the next, uh, couple months here, I'll be able to find some time to paint my own paddle. But, 
it was just such an amazing experience. And I think for me also, it was, it was amazing because I could um, invite all the people that had helped me on my journey and thank them and say, thank you for helping me. And, and here's what's next. And here's how you can support me. And I think that was just so special. Um, we did do one post COVID as well that was online and uh, it, it did well as well. So yeah, I think it was, that was um, all encompassing and, and all of those, mostly I was the, the, the driver of it. So I was, you know, full-time working on these sponsors and the um, fundraising. And then I was also working at the same time and then training full-time. Um, so not a lot of time to spare. <laughs> um, but when it talk, when you come into your second question with uh, the training plan, um, we would do a yearly training plan. I would sit down with my coach at the beginning of every, basically the off season. So off season is like October, November, December. And we would talk about what didn't go well the year before, what I want to improve from that, um, how can I integrate that and um, look at where the national team was thinking of training, if I wanted to go on those training camps, how long I would go, um, and then just looking at the, the races I wanted to peak for and then um, figuring out my tapering or my, my training load heading towards those races. You know, when you're talking about... Uh, you think you did a, a bit more than him, but so you're talking about like you as the driver or kind of like, I would think of almost like you're the CEO of your own life <laughs> in a way, like organizing <laughs> all the things. It, it, I, it feels like a few weeks ago, but it may, I think it's longer than yeah. that. I was speaking with uh pro gravel cyclist, Alexi Vermeulen. We spent like 20 minutes talking about like the importance of athletes promoting themselves and like mm. kind of how, in his opinion, like COVID shifted the kind of like sponsorship landscape and like how money flows through the sport and that like the emphasis on the athlete really got pushed up because during that time, like there were no events, like no, nothing was going on, mm -hmm. but like social media was still important. Like sponsors could still get exposure that way. And like, you know, athletes building themselves up as their own brand gave them more control over who am I working with? What's the message I'm putting out? Like, where are the dollars coming from? And, and then also being like, being more authentic. I think you, you know, you talked about um, working with like plant-based diet sponsors or companies because that aligns with what you're doing. Mm -hmm. I, I think that's, it's an interesting and great time, I think, for athletes because you can find companies that align with their values instead of just being like, I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure what a, a good, bad example would be like, uh, like it's like Tyson chicken being like, Haley, we're going to give you a million bucks. If you just promote Tyson chicken, you know what I mean? Like, and you're like, uh, you know, I actually had an opportunity like that with the, the Turkey association of Canada. And I had oh, to yeah? say no, cause I was like, oh, I just don't eat Turkey, but you know, <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, I think it's important to understand, uh, your your alignment and like what what it is I want to represent um I think now it's shifted a little bit for me because environment is really important to me um but I think that um yeah it's it is a huge opportunity with COVID um but it was also hard at the same time I think you had to really lean on social media and um I did uh I did vlogging for a bit um which just made newsletters easier and things like that but yeah. um yeah I mean as you said like I was like being a, an athlete um, that was looking after your own sponsorships and uh, 
fundraisers, like it's like being an entrepreneur, like you have like a million things coming your way all the time. And if you don't do them, like no one's coming, like you have to do it. Right. So, uh, there was just sometimes I was flying by the seat of my pants, but, um, yeah, I think, I think there's just, there's a huge opportunity with athletes with social media, but it's also a burden as well. Um, I found that a lot of times I would get distracted by it um, because I'd be like, oh, I could like, I really need to take a picture of me doing this or all oh, this is great content or, um, oh, I should do this because this, and I, my brain would always be in that creative space. And I think that excites me, but it would also distract me from training sometimes. Um, and, and then I'd have these commitments, like with a lot of my sponsors, it was monthly or weekly commitments that I would need to, to do. And so um, it would take away from that recovery time off the water. I mean, when you're talking about your schedule, you're talking about training full time and then basically having a job. I just like it sounded like you had several jobs. So who knows how many hours that adds up? Well, maybe you know how many hours yeah. that adds up to. It just, you know, I I felt like how do you possibly keep track of all those things? I mean, you know, before we got going, we talked about kind of my background and my endeavors into trying to become a pro. I, the peak, I was training like 15 to 20 hours a week. I kind of started my own company so that I could be in charge of my own schedule and make, make my own mm -hmm. money and not be because I knew sponsors wouldn't care about me basically. But, <laughs> you know, even if I was like, I wouldn't true. be beholden to anybody else, but even yeah. then it was hard to juggle. I can't imagine like all of the extra time that you had to spend on all that and still be able to recover. Like so what, what you and many top athletes I speak to go through, like, it feels unimaginable to me, like just having a glimpse of that lifestyle and then thinking, oh yeah, tack another <laughs> like 20 or 30 hours onto this and still be ready to go. Mm -hmm. um, do, do you look back on it and go like, oh, I, I'm glad I'm not doing that anymore. Or, or do you look at it and go like, how did I get through it? Or you were just like, oh no, like it was just one thing at a time. All of the above. <laughs> um, I, I think that uh, I do. I miss it a lot. Um, I am now I'm working uh, in at a leadership development uh, company and um, I'm doing business development there. And um, it's it's an ever changing environment. So it's a startup, essentially. So um, I do like that fast paced environment. But I think it's hard because um, like it's just a lot of sitting and things like that. But um, I look. I look back often and I, I think about how did I do it? Like I'm exhausted now and I, I would say I'm doing less. Um, and maybe it's cause it's a lot more like mentally new things and that's maybe what's tiring. But um, yeah, I was like training two to three times a day plus working plus hustling sponsorships plus, you know, lobbying to the international Olympic committee to try and get our sport in the Olympics plus supporting my dad for through a transition plus like plus plus. Right. So um, there was just so much there. So I think that um, now I like almost feel guilty for being tired because I'm like, um, I wasn't tired before. Why am I tired now? But I think um, something that I've kind of come to terms with is I, I'm still quite burnt out from the Olympics, even though it's been like more than a year later. Um, it like, it takes, I think it takes years to recover from that. Um, and like, I think I was just going on low for so long that, um, yeah, I'm still, I'm still just trying to, to figure out how to get that energy and, and be recovered. And I think 
now like my priorities have really shifted. Like before it was like my highest priority is training. My second highest priority is recovery. And then my third highest priority is funding my sport. Um, and uh, now like, you know, activity is still high on the list but it's not my highest priority. Um, and recovery is still high on the list but it's not my highest priority. And um, lately I've been actually thinking about shifting that because I think recovery needs to be higher on my list. But um, it's just, it's a really, it's really hard because I want to be able to go and do that activity, but I like, it's just, it sometimes there's not as many hours in a day to get it done. You made me think about um, the sentiment I saw recently. and I can't remember exactly where I saw it, unfortunately, uh, but it's something along the lines of like, I've talked about this before, like comparative suffering in this case, being tired, like you, you don't have to, apologize for being tired like if you're tired you're tired like just because in this case past you versus like present you you know like oh why am i not able to do such and such or whatever like whether you're comparing to yourself or you're comparing to somebody else maybe somebody can you know uh do more than you can and then they're tired so it's like there's this idea about like almost earning a badge of tiredness like oh i put in 100 hour weeks and thus i'm tired and my tiredness is like better than yours but maybe you're like you know you know what i mean like but maybe you'll say say in my case maybe i put in 20 hours a week and i'm exhausted but it's, mm -hmm. it's like well your tiredness doesn't equal my tiredness because i i put in more work it just i saw the sentiment about like it doesn't matter like tired is tired you know what i mean like mm -hmm. so i i feel like it should if I can buoy your spirits a little um, through my rambling, I, I just feel like, you know, give yourself a little bit of grace. Uh, the Olympics is unfathomable to, to most of us, the, the work that it takes to get in there and just, you know, if you know you're tired, like allow yourself to be, you know, I think you're, I think you're probably mm -hmm. doing okay. Yeah. I think it's, it's just, uh, I, once a high performance athlete, always a high performance yeah, athlete. Like you I have that, it. you have that high I performance mindset. And so, you know, I, I really want to be good at everything I do. And I really want to love my job and I really want to love the things I'm doing. And, and I'm, I'm figuring that out right now. I, um, I'm aspiring actually to be a firefighter. So that's my, my next thing. Um, but it's a really long hiring process. And, and yeah, I just, I, I do need to be a little better about not comparing myself to other people um, and um, not comparing myself to my past me because how I feel now is how I feel. But I think, as you said, like, um, yeah, giving myself some grace. My sports psychologist always talked about this. It's important to grieve. It's important to feel how you feel. And I need to probably bring that back into my space a little bit. But I think something that drives me in anything I do is I want to know why, why it is that I feel this way, why it is that I'm moving towards what I'm doing. And um, I just, I'd like to know why it is I'm so tired all the time. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, hopefully, hopefully there'll be some clarity there. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I would hope so. Um, it, but like I said, I just, you've put in an ungodly amount of work over what, 15 years, you know, and mm -hmm. I, it's, it's, like I said, I just, you know, I know we just met, but just, I hope you take that to heart. Just give yourself some grace um, because you put in the work, you know, 
So I, I, I dislike seeing people suffer, especially if they're like, you know, I, I, I connect with it. It's just a high, high performance athlete thing. I get it. I, I really do get it. Um, but just that's something I've been working on, I guess, is like, as like, I've been struggling through injury this year and I basically haven't been able to compete because of this injury that for lack of a better, you know, explanation or longer explanation is like, it's something that's been basically 10 years coming that I have to get through. And mm-hmm. so I've had to a lot, spend a lot of time, like just being like, okay, maybe you're not as fast as you were. Just be present with who you are now. Yeah. Um, and like you said, the shifting priorities, like, you know, you're finishing your degree, we're back to the Olympics, you're finishing your degree, you're like trying to move forward. And mm-hmm. when I, when I talk with anybody, um, you know, any, any, any of the high performance guests on the, on the show, the Olympians, the pros, it's like, it's hard to transition away from being like being at the top and then moving on to something else. Um, I'm gonna have to look up her. Uh, it's gonna take me a minute. Um, gosh, why did I just forget her name? Um, anyway, uh, it'll it'll come to me in a minute. Um, uh, speaking with a guest about um Adriana Nelson from Roll Recovery episode one sixty six. There we go. Um, mm. she is still competing <clears throat> as a pro runner mm-hmm. in her. I don't remember if she's in the late 30s or early 40s now. Um, should be having a baby here shortly, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, but we talked a lot about like building the off ramp before mm-hmm. you hit the exit, like, and how oh, yeah. a lot of people don't do that and then find themselves in this place of like, like what now? Um, so it sounds like a little bit you have been building the off ramp, you know, with your degree, thinking about being a firefighter. Um, can you, I guess it's so hard to do it while you're in it, you know, like, um, there's a lot of programs that are offered to us as athletes. The Canadian Olympic committee has an amazing program called game plan. So they helped um, us to, uh, transition even while you're still in sport. Um, but there's only so much you can do um, to build that. I, I like that uh, term off ramp. I've never heard that before, but there's only so much you can do to build that off ramp. Um, because, uh, you have to have blinders on. Yeah. Like if you want to get to the top, if you want to be, you know, at, you know, like the, the top Canadian and going to the Olympics and being the number one, like there's only one person per country per category that goes, yeah. and then only 22 nations go. So not even all nations go. Right. So if you want to be that one person, you have to like, I often think of the horses with their blinders, right? And they have that carrot in front of them and it's dangled and it's just like run towards the carrot. Nothing else matters. Right. And that's, that's what you have to do to get there. And, and, um, I don't regret that in any way, but I definitely, um, I've dealt with a lot of adversity throughout my, my life and my career and transitioning has been the hardest thing I've ever done. Um, and I think I've been thinking a lot about it and why that is, but I think there's various things, but when you're an athlete, um, if you're tired, you nap. If you've got, if you're feeling like you're not performing on the water, you take a day off. Um, if you have something that's off, you go and get tests. You talk with your team, you figure out, um, you talk with your coach about how to be better in that thing. And, and 
um, in the real world, <laughs> um, we and athletes, we have this funny thing called NARPs. So normal, average, regular person. Um, it's an acronym. <laughs> so I'm a NARP now. But um, being a NARP, I guess it's um, like you don't have that team of people unless you assemble it. So like, you know, you can have your partner, you can have your parents, you can have your friends, but like, it's not the same. They don't have an obligation to you to help you perform um, unless you assemble a team of people that are like, can I, can you be my high performance team to be a, a normal person, please? <laughs> so um, yeah, I, I find that um, there's so many things that I'm uncertain about. Like, should I, should I take this job? Should I take this volunteer opportunity? Should I take a day off? Should I push it here? So I'm still trying to take my high performance mindset and, and that the things I've learned from being an athlete, but it's, I don't have that team of people that I can rely on to, to bounce ideas off of. So that's something I've been thinking about a lot lately is maybe I need to form a team again of coaches in a way that are, are going to help me with all of the facets that I have currently engaged in. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's, I like the other part I find about transition is um, when you're an athlete, like you can dip your toes oh so slightly in something and it can feel like, oh my gosh, like I, I always thought I wanted to work in sponsorship marketing um, and I still kind of think I want to do that, um, but working in a big corporation and um, doing something like that. And, and then I tried it um, and I was like, this is not what I thought it was going to be. Um, and this is not... And I, I dipped my toes in it. So I had one or two days of it um, a week or something. And I was like, oh, this is going to be so fun. But then when you're doing it for 40 hours a week or 50 hours a week, it's a completely different um, experience. And so um, there's just, there's a huge transition period of um, figuring out, is this actually what I want to do? And, and there's so much of me feels behind. Um, a lot of, a lot of my friends are, buying houses and having families and yeah. um, getting promoted to director positions. And I am in an entry level position, renting a home in a beautiful place, but um, I, I don't have capacity to think about a family for at least, you know, a couple of years, but um, it, uh, yeah, it just makes me feel so behind um, and I need to play catch up. But at the same time, um, you know, I have this amazing career behind me and there's so many skills that, um, I take from that and I apply to my, my current, current life. And I just need to continue to remind myself that, um, although I might not be a director in a company right now, I still, I, I had, I was the height of my career, um, at a young age. So, um, there's a, an analogy I heard a while ago, I think may apply to you. If you think about um again I'm not trying to be preachy I just trying to offer some like tidbits of things that have helped me as I've seen them over the years um Absolutely. so first you got to think about like what do you want in life like you wanted the Olympics and you put those blinders on and then now the blinders are off and there's all the things and you have to decide there's so many choices that's the tough <laughs> part but I think I I guess if I look at you and I think about the kind of person that I think you are, again, we, we just met, so I'm, I'm making assumptions here. Um, like, you probably will have a very rich, full, big life. And that doesn't necessarily mean like you're a huge celebrity kind of thing, but just like a very fulfilled life because 
you're high performance, you want to do the things, you're going to go after the things, right? The analogy I heard was about uh, building a house. Mm. And if you say your friends, if they're out and they want to build like a two bedroom cottage, well, maybe it only takes a couple of years to build a two bedroom cottage. But you, on the other hand, have decided to build a castle and it's going to have a moat and it's going to have a drawbridge. And it takes more than two years to build a castle. Maybe in two years, you, you only have a turret standing up and you don't have anywhere to live. And there, it's windy and drafty. And you're like, why am I living in this drafty little castle? Because it's it's not even close to done. My friends are all enjoying their little castles. And it's not to demean the people that have two-bedroom cottages. That's just what they wanted. Mm-hmm. But sometimes when you're going after bigger things, it just takes longer to get there. So if you step back and you realize, oh, like I I have the ability and the capacity to live a, a bigger life than a, a normal average regular person, yeah. sometimes it takes longer to construct it. So I, I I would encourage you again, just like should try not to feel so behind because you've done this big, this big amazing adventure that most people don't ever even have the opportunity to go on. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for that. Yeah, I think I, I do really like that analogy. Um, I think patience is something that I um, have been trying to practice lately and, and really, really like, um, I think that's another thing too with transition is like, um, when you're an athlete, like if you want to change something, you change it because it's your life. Like you change that and you have so much autonomy over that. But um, when you're working for someone or just, just things outside of sport, there's change takes so much longer because there's approval processes and there's many people involved. And um, I think that being patient with that process and the, I like that analogy of being patient with building my my moat around my castle <laughs> um, and maybe putting some windows up so it's less drafty. Um, but um, yeah, it's, it's just about um, continuing to, I heard this analogy once, um, and it was actually, it was uh, uh, two skaters that are quite famous in Canada, Tessa and Scott, um, Tessa Virtue and Scott uh, Moore, I think his last name was. And they talked about how um, every day, if you put a uh, piece of rice into a container, it might not seem like much every day, but at the end of the year, you can look at that container and it's an entire container full of rice. And you knew you filled it by intentionally putting something in there every single day. And um I really love that. And I still, I still love that. And I try to, to bring one thing a day that can give me joy, but also work towards the goal that I'm um, working on right now. But um, yeah, I had, I do a lot of uh, keynote speaking um, and uh, it gives, that gives me a lot of joy. Um, But I did a talk uh, to um, some financial planners for RBC last week. And I had a question from a gal in the audience. She said, so you've been working towards this massive goal and um, you know, it's been your goal for 15 years and then your goal's over. And she's like, so what's next? What do you do? <laughs> I was like, Oh my gosh, I'll call you when I figure it out. Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> do, you, do you want to give me your number? I have no idea. I mean, um, that's the thing. That's the thing that we struggle with as athletes retiring is, what is that next goal? Is there going to be a goal that's ever as big as the Olympics? Who mm-hmm. knows? 
right? And, and is that something that I want? Do I want a goal that's as big as the Olympics in my life? Do I want a couple, couple of goals? Um, that's like a thing that's going to be constantly massaged right now until I kind of have this moment of clarity, but um, it's, it's just, it's, it's a hard thing. I think um, right now, personally, I mean, I'm obviously working towards the Calgary Fire Department, but um, I had this realization that I, I really miss, um, I miss working with athletes and I really, I've always been very entrepreneurial. Um, and uh, with sponsorships and fundraising, I realized that I'm actually quite good at it. I've learned a lot and I just have that mindset of um, figuring out the gap of how to connect a brand with an athlete or a brand. With, and it's just like, it's just how my brain works. And um, I have my capstone project for, um, for university coming up here um, between, so I, it'll start December and it goes till February. And I need to come up with a company and then pitch it to investors at the end there. And um, I had this idea of maybe creating an incubator for sponsorships for athletes. And I just don't think that that's something that is happening right now. And it's, I, it's been like the last few weeks that I've been thinking about it, but I literally get excited. I get giddy when I think about it. And I'm like, maybe this is my thing. Um, mm -hmm. But it took like quite a few months, almost a year, two years to figure out, maybe I, I do want to start a company. Maybe I do want to work for myself. Like you said, create my own schedule. So um it just takes time and I have to practice that patience and get to practice that patience. Yeah. Well, and the tough thing too, is like when you're trying to figure out what do I want to do? What, like, what is, what, you know, what, what should life look like? Um, I think I talked about this when I was talking with Tim Pereira, uh, Tim, what episode were you? 169. Um, is like designing your life and all those kind of things, but also realizing like, Number one, it happens, and two, that it's okay. That sometimes the goals shift, or like your idea of what do I want changes. You know what I mean? Like, some in your case, as a concrete example, maybe you're like, no, I I want to put off the company for a while, and I I really do want to be a firefighter for a while, and then maybe eventually you go, no, I think I do want to do that company, or vice versa, or whatever. You know, like yeah, it. it uh, that's the wonderful and scary thing I think about life and being an adult is that you have all these options and you could choose any number of things um but eventually you have to choose something and then mm -hmm. deciding okay let's continue on this path or let's let's change paths um and I don't have any hard concrete uh, you know advice in terms of like do this do that <laughs> but just just commiserating I guess with with the the difficulty of uh having options sometimes mm -hmm. I think at the last half of my career something that I leaned into really hard is trusting my gut because there's so many choices that come at you and I think like I had so many people giving me advice and all these things and I was like the most important thing I can do is if this feels right do it and lean into it and really do it well so that's something I'm trying to do, do now just trust my gut um and know that know that I have the skills to, to take it on. Yeah. Um, Haley, as we're winding on time, uh, you get to be the last person to answer this question uh, this year before I, I bring a new question for next season of the show. 
Um, I'm mm. asking the same question to all my guests this year. I, I think you probably know it if you watch that other episode. Uh, this year, I'm asking people, uh, how do you celebrate your wins? Mm. Um, I call my friends and family. Um, I jump up and down with excitement. <laughs> I recently just passed the polygraph for um, firefighting. And that was something I was thinking about for eight months about how scary it would be. Um, polygraph is not something that anyone does normally, but you know, you see it in Ocean's Eleven, but you don't right. want to go ever. No one ever wants to go do a polygraph. Um, and I found out that I passed and I literally jumped out of my seat with excitement and danced around my house for like 20 minutes. So um, yeah, I think for me, um, celebrating my wins is celebrating with others. That There's no point in winning if you, you're doing it on your own. That's a great answer. Um, Haley, if people want to get in touch with you, see what you're up to, follow your journey, uh, where can they do that? I would say I'm most active on Instagram. Um, I have a TikTok account that I hardly use. I'm trying to honestly wind down from social media. Um, just because it takes over our brains. But um, yeah, you can find me on my website, uh, hayleydaniels.ca or um, on Instagram. Awesome. Haley, thanks for hanging out with me. Yeah, thank you.